Good evening. Dr. Zidane, Mr. Khair. Because Dr. Zidane is on our BOT, so I have to give him some special treatment. And also I have to treat Dr. Ghazi Bishi and Sharif Inofa and everybody. So it's one family and this is Jordan Museum, it's your museum, okay? I, I, Dr. Carol asked me to say a couple of words before introducing our lecturer tonight and it's a pleasure. And really, I am honored to welcome you here at the Jordan Museum in the very heart of Amman, near what could be considered as one of the oldest cities in the world, Ain Ghazal. It's well known for the archaeological society, not more. I discovered that during my work in the museum. Most of the people, they don't know about Ain Ghazal, that it is one of the oldest settlements and urban settlements in the world. Not only this, because this Ayn Ghazal site was the incubator for human creativity that enabled our forefathers to manufacture plaster from limestone, and this could be one of the earliest examples of chemical equations. And everybody knows that plaster, it was used in architecture, and it's very important element till today. So this is the story of human innovation. Tonight, I'm sure, we'll have a very interesting lecture that illustrates the theme of, between two parentheses, continuity. And continuity is very important. And cultural interaction in Jordan's amazing story, the story of land and people, the story of human innovation throughout human history. The theme of continuity and cultural interaction is one of the central themes here at the Jordan Museum. We are trying to communicate this message through our exhibition, through our interpretation, through those lectures, because this is part of the museum. The museum is not only the exhibits, those lectures and, event, and events and activities is part of the museum mandate. And this is a very powerful tool to communicate its message. The lecture is shedding light on a very important period that could be considered as one of the controversial periods in our history, and still is. Everybody is discussing that period, and some people they are with, they are against, but here we are talking science, we are talking research, to see what are the, the values hidden there, especially this issue of continuity. I'm personally interested in this uh, uh, theme. From another side, this lecture and uh, this book launch is marked as the first step in the great collaboration between the Jordan Museum and the CBRL. And I hope this uh, collaboration will continue in the future and will be more fruitful. More important that I consider this lecture, this book, and such events and such research is part of the continuous and collective effort aiming at preserving our cultural heritage. That is part of the humanity cultural heritage. You cannot separate, we cannot separate that the Jordan's cultural heritage, it's part of the totality of the humanity. And this what is also UNESCO, they are trying to promote when they are talking about World, Her World Heritage Sites. But, uh, Dr. Fauzi. It's a blessing to have Dr. Fauzi here with us. And also it's a blessing to have such events and to sit together to discuss, to uh, uh, say uh, uh, things about archaeology, about uh, humanity, about civilizations, and to have debate while our neighboring countries are facing devastating wars and damage and killing of innocents. Really, it's a blessing to, to have uh, uh, such a situation and uh, safety and security in this region. And uh, all of us, I'm praying and hoping that this will come to an end very soon. I will not take more time because I am sure the lecture will be very interesting. So I am giving the floor to Dr. Carol to introduce our lecturer, 
دكتور سينيبالدي دكتور كارول ذا فلور از يورز Sharifa Nofa, Your Excellencies, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, good evening everybody and I hope it's not too late to say Happy Easter to those who celebrate as well. Ahlam wa sahlam wa shukran lakum jami'an ala hudurikum li mataf al-urdun il-yom. I see many familiar faces here, but for those of you who don't know me, I'm Dr. Carol Palmer the director of the CBRL in Amman, also known as the British Institute. Uh, tonight it is my privilege not only to introduce CBRL fellow, Dr. Michaela Sinibaldi, but also to welcome you to a lecture that stands as CBRL's first official partnership with this city and nation's wonderful museum here. Naturally, I hope we will continue working with the museum as well as other local institutions to showcase everything that Jordan has to offer. For those of you unfamiliar with CBRL Amman, the British Institute, we are actually, um, our institute is the only British advanced research institute in, uh, in this part of the Arab world, covering not only Jordan but the entirety of the Levant, um, Bilad Sham. Our academic staff, fellows and resident scholars are united in their desire to draw upon the social sciences and the humanities to advance understandings and also, if I may say, dispel myths about the region. My personal relationship with Jordan stretches back almost 30 years to 1988 when I came to join an excavation in the eastern Badia, uh, Wadi Jalat, with Dr. Andrew Garrett, for those who remember him, and to do ethnographic fieldwork for my PhD, um, which was on traditional farming in northern Jordan. And unfortunately, he's not here this evening, uh, but His Excellency Dr. Munda Jamhawi reminded me that we first met then. <laughs> In my time, I have seen Jordan change a lot, and I have seen this capital city, Amman, grow to, into a real metropolis today. The population of Jordan at that time was estimated to be somewhere around 3 million, and it's now estimated to be 9.5. So, I don't consider myself that old, but there have been huge changes. However, and as I am sure we'll hear tonight from Dr. Michaela, periods of socio-cultural change, stability and integration have always defined this country. Jordan's history and heritage is incredibly rich. On the one hand, this land is, as they say, the crossroads of history, a place where Arabia, Africa and Europe meet. But what is less known is that our ancestors did not only pass through Jordan, but they also found stability here. Sedentary life began in Jordan, it's one of the origins, and here is where agriculture first flourished. Over time, Jordan was at the heart of the Roman Empire and Eastern Byzantium, not to mention the, the glorious Nabataean heritage with its capital at Petra. It has been the site of major Islamic battles and technological innovations and moving right up to the near modern day, my own country's associations began almost 100 years ago under the British mandate that followed World War I. So as some of you know, I could talk about Jordan for days and I need to stop myself now and to introduce this evening's speaker and, uh, and lecture. Uh, Dr. Michaela Sinibaldi is a medieval archaeologist specializing in the material culture of the Middle East. She holds a PhD from Cardiff University in the UK for her thesis entitled 
Settlement in Crusader Transjordan, 1100 to 1189, which was supervised by Professor Dennis Pringle, to whom I should say um, the book launch, the book is actually dedicated as part of his retirement. I think some of you may know Professor Dennis Pringle as well. Uh, Dr. Michaela has a long-standing relationship with the CBRL, having held her first fellowship in, 2000, in 2009, and she has an association with both the British Institute in Amman and also with the Kenyan Institute, formerly the British School of Archaeology at Jerusalem. Her most um, recent CBRL fellowship that she currently holds now um, supports research on the subject of Islamic period pottery in Petra and how that pottery might help us better understand settlement in the region. Dr. Michaela is, I know, well known to many of you and I should say that she is also well known to our fellow international institutes of ACOR and the German Protestant Institute where she has also held fellowships. Um, Dr. Michaela is also currently the director of the CBRL-affiliated project, um, Islamic Beda project in Petra. Uh, this project, which has been running since 2014, has already uncovered two late Islamic mosques in the village. What these mosques show is that indeed there was a period of significant Islamic settlement in the Petra region of some long standing. Hopefully, Dr. Michaela will speak to us at a later date about this project. Today, her talk will mark the Jordanian launch of a wonderful volume that she co-edited called Crusader Landscapes in the Medieval Levant, the Archaeology and History of the Latin East. And as you know, we have some books here and we are offering some for sale or to order. So, once again, thank you for attending. We would like to thank the Jordan Museum very much and uh, engineer Ihab for his hospitality and this partnership. And I hope we can have the opportunity to talk more at the reception. For now, it is my great pleasure to introduce Dr. Michaela for our lecture. Thank you. Thank you very much, Carol, and thank you very much, um, Engineer Ehab. Um, let me thank, first of all, very much, um, the Jordan Museum and the staff of the Jordan Museum and the British Institute in Amman staff for helping to organize this event and for holding it as the first event in partnership uh, between the two institutions. Um, um, I'm also very honored. Um, um, His Excellencies, uh, friends, colleagues, it's a great pleasure to see so many of you tonight. In fact, this looks um, much more like a friends reunion, old friends and new friends, um, rather than a lecture. And some of you have come from, from far away, from the south of Jordan. Some of you today are celebrating Easter. So um, it's, uh, I'm really delighted to see you here. Thank you so much. Um, this is also a lovely opportunity to, um, to thank um, so many of you who have been um, really um, um, helping and supporting through all the years I spent in Jordan. First, um, first when I was doing my master thesis um, about um, an archaeological literature on the Latin Kingdom of Jerusalem, and, and then through my PhD. I received support um, in many, very different ways from so many of you, and um, um, it's very nice to be able to present some of the results. Um, the occasion of this lecture is the Jordanian launch of Crusader Landscape. So let me say just a couple of words about the book before we start talking about Crusader period Petra. And the book is a festive in honor of a great scholar of the Middle East, Dennis Pringle. Um, I've been very lucky to be one of his students at, uh, for my PhD at Cardiff University. Um, Dennis has dedicated his career to the study of the Crusader period. However, um, his contribution to the field does not stop with a solid, um, reliable and accurate scholarship. Um, 
the way he has uh, created a marriage between material sources and historical sources um, has been groundbreaking in showing uh, that we can obtain a way more results than by working with the two different sources separately. And this is very important because up to when he started working in the field, there were mainly two different um, subjects uh, gathering the interest of scholars. One were the historical sources, so the documentary sources studied by historians, and on the other side, um, the monumental sources studied by architects. This was uh, the mainstream interest in, um, in the subject. Um, by putting together not only this, the, um, um, the work in synergy of these two kinds of sources, but also by um, looking at a landscape um, and not only at um, a specific kind of building such as castles and monuments, um, it really has made justice to, um, uh, to what really was um, an environment where many different subjects interacted, certainly not limited to the Franks and the Europeans. Um, so um, we have been able to start looking at daily life of all um, the uh, local communities who were already um, living here, of course, and at their interaction. The book, just a couple of words, includes 27 contributions, many of which are by leading scholars in the field. Um, and um, uh, geographically, it includes uh, many of the countries which has been influenced by the phenomenon of the Crusades, um, including Europe. Um, so the, the influence over Europe of, um, of the phenomenon of the Crusades. And perhaps, however, the most valuable contribution to the book are those, um, are those about uh, Syria, um, which, um, of course, because of the tragic current events, it's also um, um, a region where our understanding and conservation of the past has been uh, affected. We are also pleased to manage uh, that we managed to offer a book with over 100 illustrations, given that there is such need um, of this in, uh, in archaeology publications. So you can look at the book um, after the lecture. Um, you can, you can buy it tonight. We don't have very many copies um, available tonight, but if you don't get, if you don't manage to get your copies, you can put in um, the request of an order with me, so write me, and I'll try and have some books shipped uh, here. Um, also very kindly, uh, CBRL, uh, well, the British Institute in Amman and Echor have agreed to have them on sale once they're available, so you can find them there and you will find copies for consultation at EHOR, CBRL, um, at the Department of Antiquities, and at the uh, German Protestant Institute in Amman. So um, there should be opportunities for you to look inside. Um, finally, before starting, I, I really want to thank uh, among uh, the many, many people who have worked on the book, um, uh, the Council for British Research in the Levant, because it's been uh, the main of our five funding bodies um, who has also participated to supporting our four book launches, Cardiff, London, and Jerusalem, and Amman. And one last word, um, even if they're not here, um, I'd like to say a big thank you to my fellow co-editors um, who also would like very much to be um, with us tonight, but they live far away. And I must say, this has been a wonderful project um, where everyone has worked incredibly hard and with a lot of passion. Um, for those of you who um, are not um, very familiar with the chronological and geographical framework of the Crusades, uh, I'm just going to say a couple of words. This phenomenon occurred mainly during the 12th and 13th centuries. Uh, the traditional dates being 1099, uh, the conquest of Jerusalem by the Franks, and 1291, the loss of the last significant site in the Middle East, uh, Acre. Um, the official reason for the start of the Crusades was um, the request by the, of, by the Pope at the time to create a safe environment for the pilgrims, for the Christian pilgrims to the many holy sites in the region especially Jerusalem. However, these beginnings have led to 
um, a much more complex socioeconomic phenomenon. As um, an example will be um, illustrated tonight, which has been studied by many different points of views, uh, much less archaeologically, from an archaeological point of view, and which involved over these 200 years many different situations um, along the wide um, area which has been influenced. Um, in the book, uh, there is a chapter about Crusader Petra, which is the subject of tonight's lecture. So you will be able to find all of the references um, to what I'm talking about in the book. Um, and the chapter, this chapter anticipates part of the results um, obtained during the PhD, uh, which is now under publication in form of a volume on the Sabbath of Jordan in the Crusader period. And in the book, you'll find uh, also other aspects of uh, settlement in Petra, including um, a part on the relationship between the Franks and the local populations. Um, um, Engineer Ehab and Dr. Carroll have, have already introduced uh, the, um, that the idea of uh, tonight's lecture really is uh, continuity, um, continuity through time. So um, I will present, rather than comment on this, I will, prevent, I will present the, the evidence coming from the archaeological and um, historical sources. And these conclusions, part of the PhD, do show the necessity of revising the interpretation of settlement patterns, dynamics, and chronology, which has been proposed by some scholars <coughs> until now. Okay. So tonight we will touch on the following points. First of all, uh, we look at the current interpretations uh, on the subject. Secondly, we look at the evidence from the documentary sources. Then we look at the methodology quickly that I've, looked, that I've used to look at the uh, archaeological sources. And finally, um, we look at what has been concluded by using these two sets of um, data together. And the conclusion illuminates on um, the aspects of the impact of the Crusader period in the Petra region the nature of settlement, the topography of settlement, and the relationship to other sites. I also want to show um, very quickly on this map some of the crusader periods, uh, crusader period and not crusader, crusader period sites um, that we're going to mention, and the main ones in Jordan, the castle of Ain al-Abis in the north, um, Kerak and Shobak, the two main fortifications of Jordan. This is the Petra and Wadi Musa um, area. Aqaba, Tafila, where we know that um, the Franks had um, another castle, Amman, and Safi. This is a um, map of Petra. Uh, this is the Jebel Harun. Uh, Tomb three of three, which we're going to mention later. Um, uh, Wadi Musa, with the neighborhood of Kirkut and Nawafla. Um, Beida, and the Wadi Farasa. This is al Castle, the last one. And finally, another Petra map, um, with al on the right-hand side. Yep. Um, Halabis Castle. This is the Wadi Farasa. This is the direction to Beida. And this is Jebel Matba. So let's now look at the current interpretations of um, Crusader period settlement in Petra. He was um, Philip Hammond, um, a scholar mainly interested in the earlier history of Petra, who first proposed that Alvoira Castle, here in the picture, uh, the main castle of the Petra region was constructed in 1108-1116, and that Halhabis castle was constructed in 1116-1118. Hammond also argued that um, Halhabis would have been only one of a series of forts inside the Petra Valley, including one on Jabal Matzba, um, controlling uh, the trade um, 
coming from, from the West, so through the Negev and Palestine, um, which is the reason why Petra during the Crusader period emerged for the first time since the Nabatean period as a site of primary importance for the history of the entire Middle East. So it gave a lot of importance to the um, Crusader phase, um, believing that it was a sort of revival. Dennis Pringle has proposed that the date of the foundation of Alvoira should be placed instead after 11 in 27 on the basis of historical and architectural evidence. He also brought to the attention the fact that Shoba, actually, which was founded in 1115, was the first site to be built in the south, and, um, and it was also the most important to the Franks, being um, located on the, on the um, Darbal Aji, the medieval pilgrims' road to Islamic cities of Mecca and Medina. But despite this in-depth analysis by a specialist of the Crusader period, it seems that the model proposed by Hammond since 1970 still created a large deal of confusion and continued to be um, influenced um, today's view. For example, the settlement model proposed by Guido Vannini since the 90s and still proposed today supports Hammond in all his points and can be summarized um, as follows. The Crusader period was for Petra a moment of deep change and an important revival reflected both in a population increase and flourishing trade activities between the Petra Valley and the Palestinian coast, which was of such importance to the Franks that Shabak Castle itself was part of a system centered on the Petra Valley. The Frankish territorial strategy in the south was aimed at securing control of the bottom of the Petra Valley, where the Frankish population was located. And to achieve this, several forces, including those in Al-Nabis and Jabal Mazba, were created. Um, according to this model, the Crusader period in the Petra Valley was also followed and preceded by long periods of depopulation, which already started in the Middle Age. And finally, the Petra settlements um, began in the first decade of the, decade of the 12th century to be completed by 1115. Let's now look at the documentary sources. Oh, um, this is Halabis Castle, and this is a top plan. So documentary sources for Crusader Transjordan are in, very, in general very limited um, when compared to other areas of the Latin Kingdom of Jerusalem, but we do have uh, quite a few sources for what concerns Transjordan, both Muslim sources and Western sources. However, Muslim sources in general do tend to concentrate a little bit more on military events around the main castles, namely Kerak and Shobak. Um, when it's about um, looking at settlements, uh, dynamics, we, ha we do have um, a bit more information from the Western um, sources. Um, we have information from Ibn Shaddad, Ibn al-Furat, Ibn Muyasser, and Abu Shama. And for the Western sources, we have information by Fulcher of Chartres, Albert of Aachen, and William of Tyre. Um, they all lived, um, these three um, historians, they all lived during the 12th century, but it is Fulcher of Chartres who is in particular um, an important source for us because it was um, personally, he came to Petra, he traveled to Petra with King Baldwin I in 1100. So he, he was an eyewitness. Fulcher of Chart accompanied Baldwin I on an exploration on the south of Transjordan in 1100, the rich Wadi Musa and the Christian monastery of Jebel Harun on top of the mountain, where they actually saw some monks praying. Um, after spending a few days in Petra, they returned to Jerusalem, and Fulcher uh, describes um, Wadi Musa as a valley very rich in all fruits of the earth, where most springs were so powerful that it was used for powering corn mills. In 1108, um, Baldwin led an expedition um, to Wadi Musa in order to destroy a fort that had been built there by the Damascenes to block the passage of Christians. Afterwards, the king, um, took about 60 local Christians with him who were afraid of the Arab Muslims back to Jerusalem. Um, the, the fort in question was most likely Alvoira, 
And this information is important in attesting that settlement in Wadi Musa did not yet exist at this time, because um, some local Christians were evacuated to Palestine. In um, 1115, the construction of Montreal, Shobak, is documented by Fulcher of Chartres. Um, Fulcher of Chartres and William of Tyre explains that at the time of the foundation, the Christians had no fortress in the country beyond the Jordan River. And because the king wanted to extend the boundaries of the kingdom in that locality, he proposed to build um, a fort in that spot. Uh, he granted a garrison of knights and foot soldiers extensive possessions, and he mentioned that the fields produced large quantity of wine and oil. Finally, the sources tell us that one of the main uh, reasons for um, the location of this new uh, fortification on this spot was the control of the passage of merchants or merchant caravans on the king's highway, presumably in order to levy tolls from them. Um, in 1144, the Turks, at the invitation of the local inhabitants, seized the fortress of, of uh, Alvuaira, and at this news, Baldwin III traveled to Wadi Musa, and the inhabitants of the country did take refuge inside the castle. The Franks besieged the castle for several days until they decided to uproot the groves of olive trees and burn them. As soon as the inhabitants saw their trees being cut down, they returned the fortress to the king. Now, this account is important because this is the first certain day that we have for the castle of Alguaira in Frankish hands, but it also bears witness, of course, that if we're talking about olive trees cultivation, um, by this time, uh, settlement was not only firmly established, but also relying on agriculture. After an attack in 1158 uh, uh, to Wire Castle by the Egyptians, um, the next mention we have is that around 1160, a village in the area of Wadi Musa, which included a parish church, was granted to the hospitalers. We are now getting to the end of the um, presence of the Franks in Jordan because Kara Castle surrendered to the Muslim in 1188. Um, in a letter from Saladin to his brother um, in the same years, um, there is a list of the sites conquered by the Muslims in the south, and this includes the site of um, Hormuz in the Petra area. Um, Hormuz is also listed as um, a site controlling um, other sites and agricultural territories. Um, and in 1199, the news arrived that Shobak has also been finally taken. Shobak Castle, Wadi Musa, and Kera. So to summarize the information we get from the sources, um, First of all, we know that uh, service in the Petra area started very early, the first few months um, of the presence of the Franks in the Middle East. So they were very, very interested in exploring East um, and South from the very beginning. Um, the construction of Shobak was definitely the first, the first castle in 1115. Um, the construction of Alvuaira followed together with uh, the Petra settlements between 1130 and 1140. We know that the Franks were controlling one village and three castles. Um, they lost control of the Petra sites in 1188 already, and agriculture, of, as we gather from the sources, was the main economic attraction to the area. Um, let's now look at the um, um, archaeological evidence. It is commonly assumed that at the beginning of the 7th century, Petra went through a substantial shift after which it lost its importance, as reflected by the fact that it almost disappeared from the historical sources. This is probably where a theory of a complete abandonment of the Petra Valley originates. But in fact, regional surveys have made recent, recently made significant progress by mapping the extent of Islamic period settlement in the Petra region, and have confirmed that Islamic period settlement in Petra extended well beyond the historical well-known sites, such as Alvuaira and Alabis. However, when I started the PhD project in 2008, there was a commonly held notion, notion was still 
that the Peshwar Valley had been more or less abandoned for the whole Islamic period, apart from a short parenthesis during the Crusader period, when the Franks would have created a revival. Um, but, um, and this is why um, a lot of the pottery found inside the Peshwar Valley was um, tentatively assigned to the Crusader period. But how was it possible, I wonder, to say that all of that pottery was dated to the Crusader period in absence of a ceramic chronology for the area? So the main problem with this assumption was that an attempt to distinguish between ceramics of the Crusader period and those earlier and of the earlier and later periods had never been carried on. So it was necessary to create a method of study which allowed decoding the development in time of these ceramics, if it was indeed possible to do this. Um, and also, uh, it seemed to me that um, it would have been wise to start establishing a method of analysis which would make justice to the significance of this artifact in illustrating um, the later history of Petra. Um, um, so with this slide, I list, acknowledge, and thank at the same time the project director who um, have very kindly made available their ceramic material from, from their projects. Um, this um, has been uh, extremely important, not only to reach conclusions on the um, aspects of the Crusader period, but also on the later history of Petra. Um, by discovering that, um, of course, um, the material was belonging to a much longer chronology than the 12th century, this has created actually the basis for a, um, another project, looking at the later phases of Petra, um, and where I'm trying to understand better settlements through uh, settlement patterns by uh, gathering um, elements from the chronology uh, that came up from this pottery analysis. So as you can see, these ceramics uh, originate from excavations, uh, stratified excavation, but uh, afterwards I've been able to use some of this data to comment also on um, ceramics from uh, surveys. Um, the pottery from Petra is um, 99 handmade pottery with intense, uh, an intense aspect of longevity. This has been probably the main reason why um, most of the ceramics um, uh, found in Petra have been um, easily uh, assumed to be very similar to the ones from Alvoira. Um, which actually are the ones uh, coming from a well-dated site. Um, after a study of, of the variations um, in time of this kind of pottery, I've been able to isolate. I'm going to mention this quickly uh, because the, um, the results of these studies, if you're interested, are published on the um, volume three of the Finnish Jebel Harun project. Um, so under the traditional uh, aspects of fabric manufacture, form, firing, and surface treatment, I found out that non-traditional um, diagnostic elements were actually telling us something about chronology. So they were diagnostic. Um, surface treatment in particular, which is the most um, significant, um, shows interesting variations in the percentage of painted and unpainted pottery, slipping, painting colors, and painting quality and decoration uh, patterns. So um, the results have been, for example, that beyond that, of course, um, a lot of this pottery belongs to the period between the 10th and the 20th century, uh, documenting settlement in Petra for um, over 1,000 years uh, without significant gaps. Uh, for example, in the Wadi Farasa, um, it has been possible to observe um, occupation from the 12th century to the 16th century and between the 18th and the 19th century. Um, in Beida, um, uh, after a frequentation of probably including uh, the 7th century as well, um, uh, the 16 between the phase between the 16th and the 18th century looked very prominent, but also traces of occupation between the 12th and the 14th century. Um, this is um, uh, ceramics from tomb uh, 303. Um, 
which has been um, interpreted as giving clues of settlement inside Petra during the Mamluk periods. And uh, the ceramics uh, excavated by the Department of Antiquities, uh, Akirbid and Nawafla, was very important in showing that at this specific spot, there was no interruption of, um, of occupation. So uh, the pattern was really of um, continuity. Um, the 12th century was not particularly prominent in this sequence. Um, um, building on this, uh, on this basic chronology, um, I've also observed, for example, that on the Jebel Harun, um, the large quantity of pottery had peaks, um, showed peaks in the settlement between the 13th and the 15th century and the 18th and the 20th century. And um, a study of the um, Brown University Petroarchaeological Project has shown that uh, around um, in the area of Beda, uh, in contrast, the Middle Islamic period was less present. So uh, it's the late Islamic period which is, um, which is best uh, represented. Um, finally, regarding pottery, another aspect um, is important. Both the excavations in Wadi Musa and those at al Castle, the Crusader Castle, show that um, ceramic imports are not uh, standing out in terms of quantity and, um, and indicating an especially lively and important, um, an important trade um, with Palestine. Yes, there are imports, but um, there, um, the ceramics types, I think, um, are just as common um, in, in, in a lot of other sites, and especially, it, it seems to be revealed, like it seems to be revealed by um, surveys at Kerak Castle at the main sites uh, on, along the, the King's Highway, so Kerak and Shobak. Um, so, uh, this is another aspect telling us about um, continuity and not um, deep changes rather than deep changes as um, assumed and, um, by some scholars. Um, the other aspect that I've been analyzing much more, um, uh, much less um, extensively, let's say, is a quick observation of um, building styles um, at the well-known uh, Crusader castles. So, um, by looking at building styles at Alvoira and Halabis, it stands out um, very clearly that the building styles is, in contrast with what happens to the pottery, the building style is very distinguished, very easy to distinguish from the other, um, um, from the um, other buildings around in the region. Um, for this reason, I would say that it's safe to assume that the fort on Jebel Mazba is not, should not be assigned to the Crusader period because it's built in a distinguishedly different way. Um, in fact, someone has observed that the building style may look, um, may be reminiscent of um, techniques used from the later 6th century. So there is um, no reason to think that there was a um, crusader fort inside the valley, apart from Halabis. Um, by summarizing the archaeological evidence, we can say, um, we can talk about, well, these are data telling us about a relatively low impact called by the Frankish settlement on the Petra region, um, as you can see by the fact that ceramic imports were already present um, in equal measure from, um, from before the arrival of the Franks, and of course, by the number of sites identified as, as um, Crusader or 12th century. So, um, um, the, um, like I said, ceramic data do not support this substantial increase in the population of Petra during that century, followed by a sudden decline afterwards. In fact, they have seemed to suggest so far that it's the Mamluk period uh, which may have had a particular um, relevance, may have been particularly uh, lively in Petra. Um, 
But again, um, um, this is consistent with the historical sources who suggest that Wadi Musa, after losing importance during the early Islamic period, began to grow in significance already from the 11th century. So it seems that in the, um, in the area, the Franks already introduced, in a, introduced themselves in an already flourishing phase of economic prosperity, which began really in the 11th century, and for which they were not mainly responsible. Um, the second aspect is um, our connections um, with Verbal Aji and Shobak, which of course result in being um, the main ones, I think. There is no reason to think that Petra was connected to important trade networks within the Negev through Petra, um, because ceramic imports, uh, first of all, ceramic imports are very scarce, so they don't tell us about this flourishing trade, which has been hypothesized about. But um, also, by the later 6th century, it seems the communication between Petra and the Negev had largely disappeared uh, in terms of um, lively, um, lively trade. For example, the um, sites along the road from Petra to Gaza did not show the presence of any Byzantine ceramics. This does not mean, of course, that these roads were not in use because um, they were used by travelers. Um, and in fact, the road um, I mentioned is, is one of the main entrances to, to Petra historically. Um, So all of the available evidence definitely suggests that it was Kerak and not Petra to be um, mainly connected with the western parts of the Latin Kingdom of Jerusalem. Um, finally, the focus of settlements uh, was outside the Petra Valley and not um, inside, and the society was definitely based on agriculture. Um, the three main sites mentioned in the sources as having controlled territory under the Franks, Alvoira, Ormuz, and the village controlled by the Franks in Wadi Musa, are all located outside the Petra Valley. And this shows that the focus of settlement was outside, as actually makes um, perfect sense to imagine. Um, this situation is well supported also by documentary sources showing that the Frankish population in Transjordan was not even large enough to be placed at the control of cru crucially strategic castles. So it is unlikely that the Franks would have had the resources to repopulate a valley. And moreover, and even more so in these conditions, it's difficult to see the reason why the Franks chose to repopulate the Petra Valley rather than occupy other areas which offered better opportunities for security, water, and agriculture just beyond the valley. Um, Elabis Castle, which has been correctly identified by Hammond as, one, um, as the one mentioned in the sources, and it's inside the Petra Valley, is therefore the only one in this position. And um, it would probably uh, control some smaller cluster of habitation and cultivated areas um, but this castle is not listed as one of those controlling substantial agricultural territory in contrast with uh, the other two. So it's hardly surprising that the Franks wanted to make use of the local agricultural potential of the area, which was very good. Uh, it's very high in the lower um, exposures of uh, sandstone under uh, the western side of the Jabal Shara. And um, several sites, such as Bed, have been traditionally used for agriculture, including the production of wine. And several villages, such as Wadi Musa itself, um, uh, are actually located along a line of springs on the western slope of the mountains. As we mentioned before, um, all of these three points um, do suggest, uh, suggested by the study of material culture, um, are clearly also suggested by the documentary sources. So it seems, therefore, that these are very uh, safe conclusions. Um, moreover, the evidence shows the necessity to think of the Frankish presence in Petra in less radical terms than just disruption and deep changes. It would have been impossible, in general, for the Franks to eradicate a pre-order system to change it to a new one, because in absence of a large population of Franks relying on a agricultural system would have necessitated a certain level of stability and relatively peaceful relationship with the local population. And archaeological sources also tell us more about this daily relationship when we look, for example, at 
um, diet. Petra was largely Christian at the time, and this was one of the reasons why the Franks chose to settle in southern Transjordan. In reality, one of the main principles at the base of the First Crusade was the idea to protect local Christians. But in addition, other documentary sources tell us that um, they all, the Franks also had to come um, to good terms with the local Bedouins, with whom it would have been, without whom it would have been very difficult to maintain control of the area when the Franks were present in such little numbers. Um, so to conclude, um, um, an interesting aspect about the case study of post-urban Petra is methodology. One of the substantial differences between documentary and archaeological sources is that while it is indeed very rare that new documents are found, the archaeological document implies a process of continuous discovery. And um, not only takes more time and effort to obtain an overview, but our view is also limited by what we are choosing to explore as archaeologists. And furthermore, um, a common mistake we make is the one where absences and gaps are perceived, where instead it's just a lack of um, knowledge of the source that we're dealing with. Um, it appears that at the origin of this uh, incorrect interpretation that Crusader period settlement was focused all on the Petra Valley, is partially uh, the fact that archaeological research has until now been largely focused on the valley and not on the hinterland. A fact certainly due to the enormous importance of the Petra Valley in the Nabatean period, but also an important limitation to understanding its context. Um, an image of Petra is abandoned after the Byzantine period, apart from a short parenthesis during the Crusader period, only to be rediscovered to the West by Burkhardt in 1112, is often found in general guidebooks or magazines, but appears to have been formed by um, a combination of the big importance that Petra had during the Nabatean period, with um, the idea that Crusade and Transjordan was only a frontier. Um, so, um, the Lordship of Montreal is usually assumed to have had more or less the only function to serve as the southeastern frontier of the Kingdom of Jerusalem, consisting of a series of 45 points defending a border um, and much more important areas to the west, namely Jerusalem. This common image of a series of castles in a largely deserted border, uh, which of course is wrong, um, because it uh, oversimplifies a much more um, complex um, situation of settlement, comes from several factors. The scarcity of textual sources available for the 12th century, for Transjordan, and those that survive being largely focusing on its military aspects. The scarcity of archaeological excavation at 12th century sites, including the important castles of Kerak and Shobak, the fact that these two castles, being well represented, well preserved, uh, attracted more scholarly interest than any other sites as monuments. And finally, the lack of archaeological comparanda for the region, due to the only very recent development of interest in archaeologists in excavating medieval sites. So, um, to conclude, it seems to be the case that the Petra region has also suffered from this limited vision, which has led to scholars neglecting the aspect of rural settlement and patterns of continuity and adaptation to the territory, rather than those of change and disruption. Thank you very much for your attention.